Um, good to have you here, man. There's a party going on. You know, this place is about to blow. You know what I'm saying? Um, I uh, want to welcome you here, and uh, we're going to celebrate the resurrection. And I just felt like, you know, be, being me, the way to start this off would be to show you my favorite Easter cartoon of all time. And this is it. I know I'm a little twisted, but that's just funny right there. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you say. That's funny. Uh, happy Easter to you. We're glad to have you here. We're going to do things differently because we want to end with a resurrection bang because it's Easter. So we're going to do offering now. Uh, I, I know some of you are like, dude, I heard this was a cult. Now I know it is. Okay, well, hey, whatever. We might be. I don't know. We're a cult for Jesus. And we realized that God loves a cheerful giver. So we decided that we were going to start being more cheerful when it's offering time. It's not like it's time to pay the piper. It's like it's time to give back to God and it's Easter. But listen, if you're visiting with us, we don't need anything out of you. If you want to fill out that card in front of you in the chair back and throw that in and let us know how we can help you, we'd love to get you some more information about our church. This is just a chance for our people to really celebrate. I mean, this is a big day. You know, he's alive. So uh, let me pray for the offering and, uh, and we'll do that. Lord God, thank you for this time right now. I thank you for this crowd. I, I thank you for uh, the energy in this room, and I pray that you'll just help us to know that it's not just a bunch of people excited about some goofy thing that might or might not have happened 2,000 years ago. I really believe that it is your power and your spirit that we felt when we walked into this place, and, uh, and that power that, that resurrected our Lord 2,000 years ago is available to us right now. And so we're going to take the offering up. We ask a blessing on it as we, as we uh, just get this day started. And thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I am going to ask you, go ahead and pass the offering. Why are you cheering for my prayer? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, an awesome prayer. Woo! Woo! Thank you. I'm a professional. What can I say? Um, we, uh, we <laughs> oh, yeah, this is my seventh time. You don't know what I'm going to do. Um, uh, uh, this card. Okay. Don't open it yet. Don't open this card yet, but I want you to get it out. I want you to multitask for one thing. You can fan with it right now until the air catches up with the crowd, but I, I want you to multitask for a minute. Don't open it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to fill it out, put those blanks. This is a personalized letter from God, but you have to personalize it. Okay. So my name is in that first blank. And if you want to just, if this is too complicated for you on a Sunday, just write name, uh, you know, fun, um, possession and struggle next to those blanks. And then you can actually take some time and think about it during this, during this sermon, if you want, cause we're going to use this at communion, but I want you to take a moment, pass the baskets while you're doing it. You can do both things. I'm gonna put my name in here. I'm going to put, uh, I'm having the most fun when, uh, Fred likes playing golf. My favorite possession is uh, plasma television. Cause Fred's going to watch the Blackhawks today. And I struggle with being critical. Okay. What, you fill in your own stuff here and we're going to make a personalized letter out of that for us at the end of everything. We'll leave this up there so you can have it. Or like I said, you can just write next to it what the things are. If you want to just think about it and, and do it later, that's all cool too. All right. A couple things coming up. Two weeks from now is Mother's Day. That is just goofy. Uh, the way the sun works and the moon and the lunar equinox and all that kind of stuff, that's how Easter happens, and so it's really, really late. So next week and then one more week, and it's Mother's Day. That's crazy on a worship staff, let me tell you. But uh, we've got Liz Curtis Higgs coming in to be with us. Liz Curtis Higgs is a uh, phenomenal speaker. She's spoken all over, international speaker. Uh, her claim to fame, if that's such, is that she was a radio disc jockey on the same radio station with Howard Stern. And she was such a party animal that uh, Howard Stern said, Liz, you need to get your life together, okay? It's not a good day when Howard Stern tells you, you know, I'm morally better than you, right? Okay, so uh, so she did get her life together. She's turned her life over to Jesus. She's very, very funny. She's going to be here for Mother's Day. That Saturday morning of Mother's Day, uh, so in two weeks on Saturday morning, there's a coffee for ladies. It's free. If you want to come, you can go to Parkview Church on, online uh, on our website, parkviewchurch.com, and sign up or just show up. We'd love to have you come. Uh, right after that, then I'm going to be doing, a, uh, I'm going to start a series on marriage. Uh, we've just decided that, you know what, um, a lot of marriages are struggling right now with the economy, uh, with the way things are. Uh, a lot of marriages are struggling. So I'm doing a series called Flip This Marriage. Now, now my hope is that you actually stay in the marriage and flip it. Not that, you know, like flip over to another one. Okay, but... Um, <laughs> 
Flip This Marriage is just going to be some real practical advice. And I'm taking a lot of material from my favorite marriage authors, Les and Leslie Parrott. They're phenomenal marriage counselors. They've been on Oprah. They've been on CNN. They've been on all these different, uh, you know, programs because they do this all over the country. And uh, I'm going to be using their material. And then on June 4th, as we get to the end of the series, I'm actually bringing them in for a one-day seminar. And they're going to be here with us. And uh, you can sign up for that at Parkview Church as well. We'd love to have you come and get a, get a chance to be a part of that and what's going on uh, and, and get you get your marriage some help before we get into the summer season. Okay, uh, that's all the announcements. You got your card figured out. Let's talk about what Easter is all about. Today we're all here for one reason. It's the first Sunday after the full moon following the vernal equinox. In other words, it's Easter. Today we do a bunch of stuff we don't do on other days, like dip eggs in food coloring, hide them in the yard, and hope they all get found before summer. It's a day for chocolate, baskets of chocolate that make your kids smile and their blood sugar spike. And of course, there's the Easter Bunny, a man-sized rabbit that, as it turns out, is pretty well connected. Here's another thing people do on Easter. They go to church. Some out of tradition. Hey, it's Easter. What else are you going to do? Some go out of fear, mostly of their mom and that call they're going to get about 2 p.m. on Sunday. For others, it's an obligation to a friend, a spouse, even to God. All year long, you got a free ride. At Easter, time to pay the pipe. Time to wake up early, wear itchy clothes, drive to a church, step into a strange room with strange chairs and even stranger people. Time to stand, sing, sit, bow, pray, greet, read. And we haven't even gotten to the priest, father, pastor, preacher, whatever he's called yet. Yeah, it can be stressful. It can be uncomfortable. But in the end, it's worth it. As we all know, Easter's more than just bunnies and chocolate. It's more than finding eggs and fighting crowds. And it's way more than going to church. Easter is about a man so brave and so strong, he gave everything he had to give for us, even though we didn't deserve it. There's a word for that. It's called grace. Amazing grace. And it's what Easter is really all about. Welcome. We're really, really glad to have you here. Welcome if you're watching on the Internet. We're, we're glad to share Easter with you. It's a big deal. A uh, guy was driving a limo one day, and the passenger kind of reached up from the back to tap him on the shoulder to tell him something, and it startled him so much he drove into a ditch. And they're both sitting there in this awkward silence, and the man in the back's like, dude, I'm sorry, I scared you. I, I, I didn't mean to. And, and the limo driver said, no, you don't understand. It's my first day driving a limo. I've been driving a hearse for 25 years. You know, if this thing is true, then, uh, then it kind of shocks you, doesn't it? It kind of makes a little difference. And so I ask you why you're here. Why is it, and please scoot in if you can. We still got people looking for uh, places to sit. Why is there a crowd here? What is it with this crowd mentality? I found the funniest scripture this week. If you read scripture, every once in a while you find something that just cracks you up. And I've been reading it for a really, really, really long time. And I read this scripture this week and I thought, you know what? That, that, ha- that, that has application to Easter. It's in Acts 19 and Paul is preaching in Ephesus. And Ephesus is a town where they worship the goddess Artemis. That was uh, their, uh, their, their god. You know, every town kind of had their special god or goddess that they worship. And they worshiped Artemis and they, you know, they had a lot of statues of her and a lot of artist paraphernalia and hats and t-shirts and all this kind of stuff because they were Artemis people. That's who they were. Well, Paul comes along and he says, hey, Jesus is real. You don't need to worship this idol anymore. You can worship Jesus. And people started converting which was great for everyone except for those people that made the Artemis stuff. They realized that their business was going to start to fail. So they got all upset and they got the crowd all upset. Acts 19:28. When they heard this, they were furious and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar, and people rushed as one man into the theater, because that's what crowds do. And the assembly was in confusion. Some people were shouting one thing and some another. And most of the people did not know why they were there. Isn't that funny? I mean, can you imagine you're having coffee? You're like, hey, there goes the crowd. Let's go with them. (laughs) Why are we here? I don't know. Artemis. You know, I mean, they don't even know why they're there. It reminds me of Wrigley Field. I mean, it it just makes no sense. (laughs) Uh, Cops. 
That's, that's Acts 19.38. The people did not know they were there, why they were there for you. If you want to make a t-shirt, I think it'd be a good one. I thought about that and I thought, you know what? The crowd mentality is so goofy because last Sunday they were yelling crucifer, they were yelling Hosanna, blessed is the king, right? And then on Friday they're chanting crucify him. That's what crowds do. They went from hail him to nail him in five days because you can't trust a crowd. So I ask you, why are you in this crowd? I mean, just because there's a billion people here doesn't mean we're right. And I wonder if some of you didn't just kind of walk in with somebody and you're just kind of like, Jesus, and you really don't have any idea. Well, that's my job, I guess, right? I'm here to tell you, I'm here to help you to understand why you're here. And it has to do with Doritos, believe it or not. Here's why you're here. Mark 16 records it this way. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Just like women not to plan ahead, right? But then when they looked up, uh, just pay attention to me. When they they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away, thankfully. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. And he said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? He's gone. Now listen to this. But go and tell the disciples and Peter. Hang on to that. He is going ahead of you in a galley. You will see him just as he told you. The reason we're here, the reason there's a crowd at every church gathering in the world today is because we actually believe this happened. And we have to because Paul told me in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, As Christ has not been raised, my preaching is useless. You may think so anyway, but if Christ has not been raised, there is nothing for me to be doing up here at all. And so is your faith, frankly, he said. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep with Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But we're not pitied. Because there is hope. Because Jesus did rise from the dead. Again, get your name on there. I'm happy when my favorite possession and something I struggle with. Make sure that you've got that because we're going to come back to that. And let me explain what I'm doing. Okay? The problem is this. God is perfect. Heaven is perfect. We want heaven to be perfect. I don't want any imperfect things to be there. But the problem is I want to be there and I'm imperfect. The, the, the problem is that some of you, as you're walking in here today, if I were to say, well, how are you going to get into heaven? You would say, well, all good people go to heaven, right? All good people go to heaven. I mean, if you ask the average person out there in the world, they would say, well, all good people, it doesn't matter if you're a good Jew or good Buddhist, good Muslim, good Christian, whatever. If you're good, you're, you're, you're going to go to heaven. So, so at the end of the world, whether that's May 21st, according to that crazy preacher on the radio, or 2012, according to the Mayans, or it's when the Cubs win the World Series, which is my favorite barometer, whenever that is, that, that God's going to come back and he's going to gather all the good people And he's going to say, hey, way to go, you good people. You're great. You get to come into heaven. And all you bad people, you don't get to go into heaven, right? Isn't that what everybody thinks? Maybe that's what you think. People people tell me that. You know, I say, well, how are you going to get to heaven? And they they, they know I'm a pastor, so they say, well, you know, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and all that. but, But I'm also a pretty good person. They usually add this little caveat. They usually say, no, I'm not perfect. Like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know, you know, thanks for telling me. You know, just just in case you, everybody knows you're not perfect. You don't have to tell them that, okay? Matter of fact, you could just go ahead and turn to your neighbor right now and tell them they're not perfect. Maybe that would help get us off on the right, on the right foot. Okay, I just wanted you to tell them they're not perfect. I don't want you to tell them all the ways they're not perfect. Just that was it, okay? Crying out loud. It's funny how many people tell me that. You know, like, I didn't know, okay? But even though we know we're not perfect, we still think we're good enough. Don't we? Everybody really deep down inside, I think, thinks they're, they're good enough. I saw this interview recently with a bunch of people who were asked this question. And as a part of the interview, they went into a prison and asked prisoners, are you good enough? Let me let you see. Attempted murder and kidnapping. I got arrested for home evasion, doing drugs, drinking, smoking, aggravated assault, possession of a weapon with intent to kill. Sexual battery. Yes, I I do feel I have a good heart. Yes, I do have a good heart. I don't feel I'm an extremely bad person. 
I know I'm a good person, yeah. I would label myself as a fair person. I, I'd say in between a good person and a bad person. I've done I've done some pretty bad things. Um, just haven't got caught for them. But then again, I do have a big heart. I have a good heart. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have a good heart. You know, attempted murder, a sexual battery. You know, but I have a good heart. Deep down inside, I'm a, I'm a good person, right? I mean, that's kind of what we all do. 87% of Americans think they're going to heaven someday. And most of them, even though we, you know, we're, you're, we're Christian, we're a Christian nation, most of them think that it's about their goodness, okay? And that, that's, that's such a common thing that I felt like at Easter it was really important for me to help you to deal with that. Because if you don't deal with that, you're not going to understand the cross and the empty tomb. It's not really going to make any sense. There's no amazing grace if you're good enough. Am I right? I read this little booklet by Andy Stanley called How Good is Good Enough, and he gave three really good reasons why good enough is not good enough, why there's no way this works, okay? The first one is this. We don't know the grading system. Am I right? I mean, do you know how good you have to be to get into heaven if goodness is your standard? Did you ever have a teacher in class that used that 93 mark as an A instead of 90? Wasn't that stupid? Hey! Teachers, leave those kids alone. <laughs> 90's an A, man. If I get an 89.6, I want an A. You know what I'm saying? But, but what if you walked into class and you didn't have any idea? You know, the teacher said, hey, I don't know how I'm going to grade you at the end of the year. I'm just going to decide whatever I want to do, and, and I'm going to grade you that way. That's pretty bad, isn't it? What if you don't know? You know, all those people in the video, they're in prison and they're thinking, you know, i got a good heart. Well, I've never killed anybody, right? How do you know murder is the one? How do you know speeding is not the one and we're all in big trouble, right? How do you know that, okay? How do you know what the scale is? Problem number two is whose standard is right? How do we do that? You know, you say, well, PT, everybody's got, you know, an inward a moral compass inside. We've got a conscience inside of us. Yeah, I know that. But I'm just going to be really honest with you. The way I look at it, my sins are not that big a deal to God, but your sins are a big deal to God. You know? Isn't that kind of the way we look at things? You know, I mean, what I, what I struggle with, that's not that big a deal to God, but what you struggle with, I mean, that's how we end up with those idiots from Kansas that walk around with their signs that say who God hates. You know, like, like they think they know who God hates and God doesn't hate them because their, their stuff doesn't smell. I mean, how does that work? Do you know how many wars have been fought with people on both sides claiming that God is on their side? What is God, schizophrenic? Can he not figure out whose side he's on? How does this happen? Uh, people, let, let me take this closer to home. White people in my audience, do you remember that it wasn't very many years ago when good white church people in our country had some major screwed up thinking about people who were from a different color? Do you remember that? And if you walked into one of their churches and said, what are you doing? They would quote you scripture and they would say, no, this is right. This is what God wants. How does that happen? Well, that's our own moral compass because we use our own guide. My stuff is not that bad. Your stuff is bad, right? How about the fact that my judgment changes? Doesn't yours? I mean, when I was young, there were things I thought was right, and now that I'm older, I, I don't think so. And there were things that I thought were wrong when I was young, and I think they're good now, like naps. <laughs> right? Hey, man, I'll be there as soon as I can. I love now, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, Oh, PT, we're in church, man. You've got to get out the good book. I just go by the good book, right? I just go by this. I'm just, you know, just treat people like God wants me to treat them, and I love God. And, you know, listen, can I just tell you something right now? If this is your standard of measurement, you're in big trouble. You would be much better off with a comic book or a Danielle Steele novel or something else in your hand. Because when you start going up against this, you've got issues. Let me demonstrate, because I know you're having trouble with this. This is my giant scale that I've constructed, because I feel like most people believe that when we get to heaven... We're going to be judged on this giant scale and we're going to have all the good stuff on one side and all the bad stuff on the other side. And we're going to be measured according to how good we are. Isn't that what you think most people think? 
So, so if that's true, then we get born into this world and we're up here and we're good. Okay, this is great. Now, I mean, we could talk about original sin and all that kind of stuff, but, but let's not worry about that. Let's just realize that babies are good, right? Babies are really, really good morally. But at some point, you start to realize that there is right and wrong and you start to do wrong things. Do we know when that is? No, the Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know when the age of accountability is. Is it 8? Is it 12? Is it 18? Some of you are like, man, I hope it's after college, right? I mean, I, I, I know. Could it be Fat Tuesday until I'm 75, Tim? No, no, it can't. At some point, you have to realize that you are making choices and you're making bad choices and the age of accountability begins. So you say, well, I just want to judge myself according to the good book. Okay, let me just take one of the simple small lists in the Bible of the things that we ought to do that are good. And let's see how you stack up. Okay, I'm going to take the Ten Commandments. I'm going to be the good teacher. A 90 is an A. All right. Now, I'm going to be the good teacher. You get 10 points for each one of these. And you decide on your own how well you've kept each one of these commandments. The first one is... Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You've never put anything in the place of God. You get ten points. You decide how many of those ten points you're going to get. Number two, you shall have no idols. Okay? Now, idols can take many different forms, can't they? I mean, it's really hard to know which things are really idols in our life. Many of us will be before the Black Hawk Idol later on in the day trying to figure out what's going on. But, but listen, can I just do this for you since I'm the teacher? I'm going to give you 10 points for this. Unless you have a totem pole in your backyard, you get 10 points. Okay, everybody's doing good, right? Here we go. Not take the name of your Lord, the Lord your God, in vain. Got quiet in here, didn't it? Mm, I hear crickets. Okie dokie. How about Sabbath? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Oh, I mean, you're, you're here today. Whoa, good. I came on Easter. Hey, how about the rest of your life? Do you kind of, do you make sure that God is a priority and worship is a priority in your life all the rest of the time? Now, those are the ones that have to do with God. Then we start talking about our relationship with other people. Honor your father and mother. If you're sitting by your son or daughter right now, you can elbow them right now. Just go ahead and get a free shot in. How's that going? Okay. Have you, I mean, you were a teenager, right? Have you always honored your parents? And that's a good one. Okay, we're halfway there. We get to this one, and everybody goes, Woo, I got one I can check off my list, right? Woohoo, I haven't killed anybody. Well, yeah, except, you know, Jesus taught that it really wasn't about our actions. It was really more about our heart. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, If you hated your brother, it's just like you killed him. I'm just saying. The next one is... Uh, Adultery, okay? But Jesus said, if you lust after someone, you've committed adultery with them in your heart. And then these three, I mean, forget it. You're done, right? Stealing, lying, okay, uh-huh. And how about greed, covetousness? You know, your neighbor got rims on his Escalade, and you're like, oh, man. I mean, who hasn't done those three, right? So, so I ask you, how, you, how did you do with, the, how'd you do with my little test? Because my scale went, went down. Did your scale go down? Did anybody get an A on their test? Um, sir, lying is one of these, okay? I don't... <laughs> did, did anybody pass the test? A five-year-old in here? Because I'm, I'm just going to be straight with you. I'm a, I worked for God and I failed. You're in big trouble. So what do we do? Um, oh, well, here's what we can do. We can make up for it. I can, uh, I can buy a meal for the homeless. I can start putting good things up here on the other side. I can help an old lady across the street. I'll give to the Red Cross. I will be nice, whatever that means, right? I'm going to sponsor a child in Africa. I'm going to go on a missions trip. I'm going to share the remote with my wife. Whoops. There's a limit, you know. Do you notice what happened? Do you notice what happened? Nothing happened. Because I want to ask you something, teachers. Is there enough extra credit in the world to make up for a 27 on a test? No, there's not. There's no way you can have extra credit enough. And here's not only that, but here's what God says about you anyway and about your goodness. He says in Romans, Paul says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
You can go, wow, I thought it was just me. No, it's not just you. Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Nobody. Not a one of us. As a matter of fact, the Bible says our best deeds are like filthy rags before God. He is just so much more holy than we are. And then Paul goes on and he says, he says, therefore, he says, uh, Oh, I missed one. There's no one righteous. No, not one. Okay. Then he goes on and says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. Okay. So what does that mean? What what that means is when you get to heaven, God is not going to go up to anyone and go, Hey, congratulations. You were good enough. Nobody, not mother Teresa, not Billy Graham, not nobody. Nobody's going to get that. What's the law for? Paul goes on in that verse and he says, well, through the law, we become conscious of sin. See, the Ten Commandments were given to us. I mean, they're the right way to live, don't get me wrong, but they were given to us to show us how far off the mark we really get, how far we are away from things. The Bible teaches us that the Ten Commandments are not there to show us what to keep so that we can get into heaven. The Ten Commandments are there so that we can go, wow, I really stink. The third reason that this good people going to heaven thing isn't going to work is because it would make a liar out of Jesus. Nobody's ever told me that, but that's really the truth. It's making a liar out of Jesus. Jesus taught that good people don't go to heaven. There were these good people there when Jesus' day. They were called Pharisees and teachers of the law, and they were so good. They added rules on top of rules. Their full-time job was to go around and to do good all of the time. It is amazing. That was what they did. And Jesus said, you know what? You see those people over there? I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of those good people, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're better than the fair, unless you're better than Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or your saintly grandmother or whoever it is that you think is the most righteous person in the world, unless you're better than them, you're not going to get into heaven. And the disciples were like, well, dude, what? those are the best people there are. What are we going to do? And Jesus said, oh, well, that's why I'm here. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I have not even come for the righteous people. I came for the sinners. I have come that whoever believes in me would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't teach that good people go to heaven. Jesus taught that forgiven people go to heaven. Best way I can illustrate this is right from the cross. I mean, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and there are these uh, the, these two criminals next to him on the cross. And the religious leaders are down front, and they're yelling at Jesus, going, "Hey, Jesus! I thought you were the Son of God. Why can't you save yourself?" And, wh- and what does Jesus do? I mean, I want Jesus to throw a lightning bolt down and zap the guy between the eyes, you know. But what does Jesus do? He says, "Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing." I mean, that's who Jesus is. And then there's these two thieves next to him on the cross. And one of the thieves is just, he's hearing the guy down there on the ground yell at Jesus. And he's going, hey, yeah, Jesus, why don't you save yourself? If you're the son of God, why don't you save yourself? But the other guy on the other side of Jesus realizes that he stinks. He realizes that he's not good enough. And he starts yelling at the other guy on the cross over there. And he says, are you crazy? We're, we're being crucified for the things that we did. This is our just punishment but this man did nothing to deserve this death and then he turns over to jesus and he says jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom what does jesus say are you crazy you got an eight on your ten commandment test you're being you've been given capital punishment because you're such a bad person no jesus didn't say that he said okay today you will be with me in paradise. Now, there's no way this guy can redeem himself. There's no way this guy on the cross can do anything to make up for his sins. He can't go, oh, Jesus, if you save me, I promise I'll be a good dad. I promise I'll quit ripping people off. I promise I'll be a really good person for the rest of my life. He has no rest of his life. He died a few minutes later and he went to heaven. And that does not make any sense unless you understand why Jesus came. Unless you understand this whole thing that we call amazing grace. All this guy had to do was say, you know what? I can't make it on my own. I need your help. And all you need to do is say, you know what? I can't make it on my own. Jesus, 
I need your help. That's why all the other religions are different in Christianity. All the other religions are spelled do, D-O. They're all spelled do this, do that, make sure that you get all this stuff done. And Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. From the cross, one of the last things Jesus said was, it is finished. My question for you this Easter is what part of it is finished don't you understand? Next. File, please. Mm -hmm. Some lying, some stealing, and some acts of kindness here and there. I tried to live a good life. Well, let's see how good. This way. Next. Like, one time I cheated on a test, but then I cleaned up trash in the park. Mm-hmm. That should balance out, right? Let's find out. Next. File, please. Impressive. Oh, yeah. I devoted my entire life to make this world a better place. I dug wells in Africa. I donated blood every month. And is this your subscription? I only read the articles. I only read the articles. Next. My mom goes to church. I was baptized as a baby. Take American Express, right? Next. File, please. Whoa. Somebody's been busy. Well, let's get this over with. Sorry, um, I didn't know he was with you. Okay, step on the scale. Not you. Him. Hey, wait a minute. That is totally not fair. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's called grace. That's what it's all about right there. I think you can clap. I love that. Here's what happened with the cross. Paul tells us that when we were dead in our sins way down here, God made us alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins. He canceled the written code with all of its regulations that stood against us and stood opposed to us. He canceled this. He nailed it to the cross. We're not judged by this anymore. We're judged by that. It's really that simple. You're not going to get a passing grade. The scale is no longer about good and bad. The scale is about throwing yourself on the mercy of Christ, which is exactly what the thief on the cross did. The Bible says if righteousness could be gained apart from the law, through the law, Christ died for nothing. If if, if there was a way to work your way into heaven, then, then why would Jesus have been here? If you could be good enough on your own, why would Jesus come? Now listen, if you want to be uh, you know, part of another religion, that's all cool. Um, I, I have to tell you that all the other religions do this a lot differently. Did you know that there's a, there's a prodigal son story in Buddhism? Did you know that? I didn't know that until recently. If you don't know the prodigal son story, it's the, my favorite story Jesus ever told. It's the story of uh, this boy who decides to be selfish and go take all of his dad's money and go live in a, in a crazy city and, 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 and party, party hardy all night long and use up all the money. And he finally runs out of money and he comes back home to the father and, and, and decides, you know what, I might as well go back to my dad because at least my dad will treat me as a good servant and I'll work it off. I'll work off what I own. But when he comes back, what happens? Well, Jesus gives us this beautiful picture of God because God is not a God who's going to make you work off your stuff. As soon as he comes home, the father has his arms wide open and he brings the boy back home and he has a big party and he puts on the robe and he gives him his ring back and he fully reinstates him. That's the prodigal son, according to Jesus. Prodigal son, according to Buddha, 
is the boy goes off, wastes all the money in wild living, and then he comes back, and he ends up coming back home, but he doesn't know that he's home because his father has changed, and his father is much more wealthy than he was when he left. And so he comes back and gets a job working for his father, and in Buddha's story, the father does not tell the son who he is. And the son spends the rest of his life working for his father, not realizing who he is. And finally, on the father's deathbed, he finally tells the boy, well, I guess you've made up for it. I guess you're good enough. I need to tell you I'm your dad. I'm turning all this over to you. I mean, that's from literal Buddhist literature. You can can have either one of those stories if you want, because in Buddhism, you've got to work off your karma, right? That's the way most of the other religions work. You've got to work off the problems. You've got to make up for enough good deeds. That's why everybody believes this, because that's the thing that is common sense to people. You've got to make up for it yourself. And the reason we call this amazing grace is because it doesn't make any sense. It is amazing And a thief on a cross can turn to Jesus and say, will you save me at the very last minute? And Jesus will say, of course, that's why I came. I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. Now, let me take you back to the resurrection, okay? The angel said, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Why does it say that? That doesn't make any sense. Peter was one of the disciples. That's like saying, go and tell the three stooges and Curly. That doesn't make any sense. Why did he single out Peter? Why did the angel single out Peter? I've been thinking about that. You know what? It's starting to make sense to me now. Because who felt worse about Jesus being dead than Peter? I mean, maybe Judas, but he's already killed himself. Peter is the guy that needs to hear about the resurrection more than anybody else. Why do I say that? Well, because it was Peter that was there in that courtyard that evening watching Jesus getting beat up. It was, it was actually Peter who was the guy who said, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And, P- and Jesus said, Peter, you're, you're going to deny me three times tonight. And Peter said, no way, if I have to die, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be your guy. I mean, Peter, and he proved it kind of because when they got into the garden, Peter's the one guy who pulled out a sword and started swinging, right? I mean, he's a fisherman. He's not a soldier. So he only got the guy's ear cut off instead of actually doing any damage. But that's who Peter was. I see Peter as the, as the rough guy in the crowd. He's the guy with the pickup truck and the gun rack and the bumper sticker that says guns don't kill people. I do. You know, that's who Peter was. He was that guy, and he was like, Lord, I'm going to die for you if I have to. Except then they get into the courtyard, and Jesus starts getting beat up, and the people are all against him. And a girl says, hey, Peter, weren't you you with him? Peter goes, no, I don't know what you're talking about. He walks on a little farther, and another guy says, hey, you're one of the disciples. And he goes, no, no, I wasn't. He goes on a little farther. Somebody else says, yeah, you're one of the disciples. And he calls down curses on himself and swears that he doesn't know Jesus. And at that moment, the rooster crowed. And he got that feeling, oh, man, this is what Jesus predicted. And sure enough, it happened. And and nobody felt worse than Peter. So my question for you today is, how are you in Jesus? Because I'm convinced that some of you needed this illustration. Some of you needed to figure out that you're not good enough. You walked in here and you're like those prisoners. You're like, yeah, I mean, I've done some bad stuff, but I've got a good heart. And you needed to hear this. I'm also guessing that some of the rest of you walked in here and you thought, man, I hope this roof is really strong because I always felt like it was going to cave in if I ever went back to church. Right? And you're like, I didn't need a Ten Commandment test. I know I failed that a long time ago. And you're walking in and you're thinking, I'm not worthy of Jesus. I'm not worthy of saving. I'm like the thief on the cross. And you needed to hear that story. Could both groups of you listen to me for just a minute? I want to introduce you to the real Jesus. Not the fake Jesus. I had had, uh, one of our worship singers last weekend works in a psych ward in one of the local hospitals. He says, I met Jesus five times. I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm talking about the real Jesus. I got to sit, this is crazy, but I got to sit in Jerry Reinsdorf's box to watch the last regular season Bulls game. I got to watch them win the best record in basketball. It had nothing to do with me or who I knew. It had nothing to do with the church. It was a connection through Bill Brown, through a fundraising thing he was involved in. It was a crazy connection. I got to literally, I mean, Jerry watched the whole game with just a, a small group of us in his box, and it was so cool. And 
while we were there, not only did I get to meet Jerry, but I got to meet Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen walks in and starts shaking hands. So I got my picture with Scotty. He's the tall one if you're having trouble with that. And I've been a Bulls fan all my life. I mean, that was really a fun, uh, fun, fun day for me. And now, you know, Jerry and, and Scotty and I are BFFs, you know, and they're following me on Twitter and stuff. It's awesome. Probably not. But what struck me about this experience is not just a way for me to brag about my picture. What struck me about this experience was that on the way out, I realized that they have, I don't know if you've been to the United Center for a while, they've erected a statue of Scottie Pippen now. He doesn't get the Michael thing out front, but he's got a, there's a bust of him on the inside. And I noticed that people were getting their picture taken next to the fake Scottie Pippen. And that just cracked me up, so I went and got my picture next to the fake Scotty Pippen. Well, because what that, what, what that was for me was that that, that kind of symbolized to me what people do with religion. Because there are, there are millions of people that are going to come to church this weekend. They're going to come to some shrine, and they're going to get their, you know, they're going to get their little taste of Jesus, and they're going to get their picture taken next to some idea of Jesus, and they're going to be good for another six months or another year or whatever, and they're going to go on their way thinking that they had a good experience at church. But I want to tell you something. You could actually meet the real Jesus today. I'm convinced that he's here, that he's knocking on the door of your heart, and that he wants to be your BFF. And he wants to follow you on Twitter. He already is. That's the beauty of Easter. One of the things that happened after, um, on Easter Day, one of the things that were recorded, there's a bunch of stories that happen after Easter, and we never pay much attention to them. There's these two guys that are walking on this road to a town called Emmaus. And I don't know why, but for some reason, Jesus just like goes, and he appears right there with them. And, and he shows up, but they don't know that it's Jesus. And so they're, they're just talking, and they meet this guy, and he's a nice guy. And so they're all chatting about the crucifixion. And they're chatting about all the events that went on in Jerusalem. And Jesus starts teaching them some Old Testament stuff that they didn't know about the prophets and how they had prophesied all these events. And they're fascinated with this guy, so they invite him to come in and have dinner with them. And it says in Luke chapter 24, 28, verse 28, it says that when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. It wasn't a statue anymore, he was real to them. So I want to ask you, we're going to have communion right now, and I want to ask you if you've got this much faith, if you've got this much belief that maybe Jesus is real, Will you please take communion with us today? You don't have to be a part of our church. If you have this much belief in Jesus, I'm asking you to join us at the Lord's table. Because I, I, I believe that something supernatural could happen in your life. I believe that Jesus is here. He's knocking on the door of your heart. And if you would just open up a little bit, he'll come in. And you could walk away with a relationship with the real Jesus instead of just another picture with another statue. Romans 10:13 says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My question for you is what part of it is finished don't you understand? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for you to uh, show up powerfully in the lives of these people that are listening right now. Maybe some even on the internet right now that need, just need a, a moment to spend with you. And I pray that you'll be with them as they're doing it. Be with them as they're opening up their lives and opening up their hearts. Maybe they've just got a sliver of faith. You said that with a, a faith the size of a mustard seed, we could move mountains. We, could, we, we know that all we need to do is crack the door open and you're more than willing to show up. So I pray that as we break this bread right now, as we drink this cup, that you will show up in a mighty way. I pray that if there are people in this room who walked in thinking the roof was going to cave in and they're not good enough for you, that they will understand that nobody's good enough for you. I'm certainly not. I'm saved by grace. The thief on the cross was saved by grace. Peter was saved by grace. Everybody's saved by grace. And there's not a limit to your amazing grace. And if there are people that walked in thinking, oh, I can handle it myself, Lord, help them to understand that they can't and that there's no reason because the law's been canceled. It's still a great way to live. It's still how we should live our life. It's not that this was a bad idea. It's that we're just never going to measure up. And so we all throw ourselves on your mercy today. We ask that you'd be with us as we commune right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there you have it. 
Dilemma solved, question answered. Jesus makes you good enough. He's the only way. Just say yes to the life I have offered you through the sacrifice of my son, God says. And then try to follow the plan because it will help you live an amazing life until the day we meet face to face. But please remember that you don't have to do any of this on your own. There is one who wants the very best for you more than I do. There is no one who wants the very best for you more than I do. And I'm here to help you every step of the way. Whenever you eat this, Jesus said, remember my body that was broken for you. Whenever you drink, remember my blood that was shed for you. Take a drink. Lord, right now, if there are people in this room who needed just to open up their hearts, I pray that they they can just open up and say, Jesus, as I taste that juice going down, as, as I chew this bread... I need, my, I, I need for my eyes to be opened. I need to see you. I need to feel you. I'm sorry that I don't measure up. I'm sorry that I failed my test. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I want you to save me. I know that I can't save myself. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all we need to say. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's not just about salvation. It's not just about resurrection. Easter's about more. It's about restoration. There's another post-resurrection story about Peter. I mean, Peter's just such a fascinating study as you go through this whole thing. Because Peter's out with the disciples and they're fishing in the boat. And and they see Jesus on the shore. This is after the resurrection. And they see Jesus on the shore and he's cooking some fish. And so they're so excited to see him, they start to row towards Jesus. And Peter, being the impetuous one that he is, was so anxious to see Jesus, he jumps out of the boat literally and starts swimming to go see Jesus. Then he gets over to Jesus and, and they're standing around the fire and Jesus goes, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I do, Lord. I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Go be my shepherd. Shepherd my people. Peter said, cool. Got it. They had a conversation about something else. And Jesus came back again and said, hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter goes, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. Peter said, okay. I talked about something else for a while, I think. And, and, and then Jesus looks up from stirring the fire and he says, hey, Peter. Do you love me? Peter goes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And I think it was at that very moment that it clicked over in Peter's brain what Jesus had just done. I've just been fully reinstated. I denied him three times. I was given three times to acknowledge my love for him. It's time to move on. Now I ask you, was Peter a good person after that? Oh, yes, he was. He was a very amazing good person. He was a guy who died for Jesus. He was a guy who led the early church. He was a guy who preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people got saved. I mean, that's what happens when, when, God, when God gets a hold of your life. Where do good deeds play in? Somebody asked me that recently. Well, if you're saved by grace, then how do good deeds happen? I'll tell you how good deeds happen. Goodness is a fruit of the Spirit. Goodness is something that God does through you. Jesus said, whenever you sponsor a child in Africa, you're sponsoring me. Whenever you help an old lady across the street, you're helping me across the street. You go do good things because you love me. Let me ask you something. Are you going to do good more often If it's for extra credit or if it's because of gratitude for the guy who died and saved your soul. Because I know what my answer is. My goodness is going to come. My desire to follow his commandments, my desire to help other people, my desire to follow the good book is going to come much more naturally when I realize how much amazing grace cost him. That's what's going to happen. Not only that, but I don't have to do it anymore. It's not about me. I have resurrection power. The Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Did that happen? I mean, look at Peter. 
He went from being the, the, the rough fisherman guy to denying Jesus to being the leader of the first church. Look at Paul. He went from killing Christians to being the guy that wrote most of the New Testament. Look at David. He went from being a murderer and an adulterer to being a man after God's own heart. Look at me. Look around you. Look at these people. They are changed by the power of the resurrection. The old is gone. The new is come. I had a friend tell me this week, Tim, I don't know if I can ever change. I'm so messed up. I don't know if I'll ever be okay. You know what I said? I said, you're right, because I know this guy, and he's messed up, and he is never going to be okay until he turns his life over to God and has the power of Jesus Christ living inside of him to transform his life. Paul said in Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance with the saints. And the incomparably great power that is available to those of us who believe. That's what I pray for. I pray for the hope. I pray for the riches. More than anything else, I pray for the power in your life. Got to go to the Holy Land last November, first time ever. There's a place there called the Garden Tomb. They don't know if it's where Jesus was buried or not. The early church definitely used it as a place to worship because there are Byzantine symbols on the inside of it. But it was, whether it was the right one or not, it had a stone that had been rolled away, and it was a really cool place. And I, took this, I had my wife take this picture of me coming out because there's somehow the only thing I could do as I came out of that tomb was this. The only, that was the only thing I could do. Not, not like I did it, not like, yay me, not look at this, but look at the power. Look at the riches. Look at what I've got now because this is empty. Because he is not here, he is risen. This is the only thing I can tell you. Life is worth living and I'm going to heaven someday, not because I'm good, but because of that. And God can do something beautiful out of my life and something beautiful in your life because He is not here, He is risen. He is not here, He is risen. Stand with me, let's close out in prayer. Stand together. Lord God, as we leave this place, we pray that, I pray that we will leave with a renewed vision and passion for what You can do in our lives. As we realize that you make beautiful things out of us, that we were the person that you loved in the very first place, and that you're not disappointed at us or mad at us because we couldn't fulfill your law, but you knew we weren't going to fulfill your law. That's why you had it in your plan to send your son from the very, very beginning of time, so that he could take all of our punishment and we could know how much you loved us, because greater love has no one man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you loved us so much that whoever believes in you will not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, be with us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May he make his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift his countenance upon us and give us peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with us now and forever. Amen. Happy Easter, everybody. Thanks for being here.